edition of Dose of Dog presented by M Mark and Old Claire. Check them out on all the socials for everything that they are offering. Doggy daycare. You walk on in here in the middle of the day and you are serenaded by dozens of dogs that are they're happy to see you, Heather. And then let's not forget all of the classes as well. We have Heather across the way to, to talk more doggies with us today. Certainly talk more. Do- oh, we, we always could talk doggies, right? Okay. And <laughs> it's I, like the story of my life. And I, and I think today is a, is a fun topic. It, it's kind of a, a refresh of something that was done uh, in the earlier mm. days with a, a kind of a different spin. Not necessarily different info, but uh, sort of refreshed. But the whole idea of balancing needs versus wants, and we, we all fight that on a daily basis ourselves. <laughs> we, we all need food, but we don't necessarily need the double cheeseburger. That's a, that's, <laughs> True. That, that, that's, that's a want. Uh, but also it's a lot more, uh, you know, we don't necessarily uh, need affection, but we want mm. it, and it's very much Ooh, that's necessary a good point. Yes. as well. So I know you're going to talk about it from a, a dog perspective because there are five essentials, if you will. You mm-hmm. gotta, you know, for instance, you got to feed a dog. you got to make sure it's got liquid and all of that. But the caring for the wants and balancing what is sort of the priority of the wants, it can be a, a messy web at times, mm-hmm. and I know you're going to help simplify it. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, you, we we've we've talked about enrichment on the podcast a lot, and it, it's it's always woven into you know I think everything we talk about as dog trainers and behavior consultants because it's so important. You know, we I know I've said this before, and this is a really weird way to look at our animals, <laughs> but basically our animals are are kind of captive domestic animals you know they live in our homes we we've determined which one gets to live in the home which one gets to live outside even if they don't want to live in the home perhaps where we say you're going to live in my house we we dictate kind of everything that happens in their entire lives which means when they eat what they eat what kind of health care they get when they get to go outside how much time they spend outside how much time we spend outside with them um you know, when they're allowed to move their body, when they're not, um, where they're going to sleep oftentimes, where their food dish is going to be. A lot of, a lot of those things. I mean, if you look at their lives, we kind of dictate most of it. And, and of of course we need to, right? Because dogs don't make good decisions when left to their own accord. (laughs) So we, we, we help them to maintain a life that is safe maintain a life that is healthy by kind of controlling most aspects of their lives. And so, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot lately. So, you know, we talk a lot about enrichment. So what does enrichment means? It means, I mean, at least pertaining to the dog world, what kinds of things can we add into this animal's world to enrich their life? So to make them happier, to be able to move their body, to, um, you know, use food in a way that is stimulating. So, so all of those pieces, we kind of look at enrichment, but you know, I think, I think sometimes, and I think I'm seeing this a lot with the, with the, you know, the people being more aware that enrichment needs to be a thing in their animals' lives. And I think sometimes that line between enrichment and the dog's needs are kind of blurred. 
you know, we, we use food in Richmond a lot. I mean, we use that a lot in the winter here in Wisconsin too, right? There are days that you can't take, you know, your little pit mix or your Vishla out for a really long walk because they're going to freeze. Uh, and so oftentimes we'll use food enrichment to kind of meet that need to be stimulated. And I think, like I said, I think there's kind of a little bit of a, blur- a blurred line between enrichment and the dog's needs because I think we have to sometimes look at how does this animal need to move or what activities does it need to do to kind of meet the needs of the genetic predisposition of this specific dog or breed or, you know, type, I guess, of of dog. So that's what I want to talk about. And I, and I don't have all the answers. <laughs> it's just something I've been kind of thinking about. So, you know, if, if we really look, if we kind of go back to, to total basics, you know, one of the things that a lot, some of you are probably aware of that work in animal welfare are the five freedoms. So we talk about that a lot when we look at meeting the needs of animals in our care, whether we're in a shelter and these standards have been adopted by, by shelters, they've been adopted by um, the farm industry, they've been adopted by the meat industry, which I, I have an issue with that because I don't really think their freedoms are being met in, in a lot of those con- in a lot of those contexts. But we're going to talk about our, our domestic dogs. So uh, the five freedoms are just pieces um, that make sure that the dogs are getting humane treatment, basically. You know, and if we look at cases of abuse, oftentimes these are things that maybe just aren't being met. And then that would kind of draw the case for, you know, some kind of legal parameters that the, that the person is violating because the animal isn't getting what they need. So let's kind of review what the five freedoms are. And they've been around since like the 60s. Um, and they're kind of just a generally accepted standards of care for animals that humans are taking care of. So five of them and most of them are pretty basic. So freedom from hunger and thirst. So does your dog have access to water? Are you feeding it, um, you know, species appropriate food, um, you know, that, and, and they're, they're eating appropriately. And all of us, I know listening are, are certainly doing all of that, all of those things. Freedom from discomfort. So appropriate shelter, um, resting area. And this is where, especially in the winter, you see a lot of maybe, legal pieces come up you know there's a dog that's kept outside and they don't have appropriate shelter and this is where we can kind of take some maybe legal parameters with with someone leaving a dog that isn't species appropriate to be outside they're not an arctic breed maybe but um they should have shelter from the elements food and water bowls that aren't going to freeze or tip over so freedom from discomfort so that means an appropriate temperature noise level access to natural light too um is one of the kind of included in that in that freedom from discomfort uh freedom from pain injury or disease so are we preventing disease and then we're treating disease and that includes vaccinating monitoring their health treating injuries providing you know appropriate medications on a timely fashion which i suspect all of our listeners are doing that (laughs) so freedom from pain disease or injury you know seeing an injury and being able to treat it you know in an appropriate time frame uh, the fourth one, freedom to express normal behavior. And this is the one I want to dive into a little bit. So let's review all of them and then we'll come back to that one. So freedom to express normal behavior by providing the right spaces, the right facilities. Maybe if the animal is social, animals of its own kind. Um, maybe um, if if they enjoy being around other animals or, or not. <laughs> Those are two 
be two different sides of the spectrum if they don't like other animals than keeping them apart. Um, you know, if they do like other animals, finding animals that they can would be socially appropriate for them. Um, and then the other piece to that is is in that fourth freedom of freedom to express normal behavior is they should be able to move their body, stretch every part of their body from nose to tail, jump, play, um, and be able to move their bodies in a natural way. And so in a normal behavior. So that's the one I want to kind of come back to. So freedom to express normal behavior, because I think sometimes that need gets blurred maybe with enrichment. And then the five, the last one is freedom from fear and distress. So any kind of condition that would cause, you know, physical um, discomfort, mental suffering, physical health that would be um, compromised. Um, and we know that a lot of psychological and mental health can quickly transition and deteriorate an animal's physical being. So, you know, that would look at things like overcrowding, um, giving them hiding spaces. If you have cats, you know, like hiding spaces are important. Um, and so looking at those pieces in, you know, the place that you're housing an animal and what would that look like for them? And I feel like, I mean, most people are meeting all of these needs for their dogs, but let's go back to the freedom to express normal behavior. And this, this goes back to the things that we've talked talked about, about the applied ethology of a breed and the, the genetics of a breed. And, you know, we, I think we forget, and, and I don't, I don't know if we forget. I think sometimes we, it might be kind of a, a fine, a, a, a fleeting thought that a lot of us have dogs that were bred to do a a they were bred for a purpose you know dogs when they came to live with humans you know we have so many breeds because they were purposeful right we have the terriers that would go out in the potato fields and kill rats as they were like turning up the potatoes so that the harvest was bountiful and that the dogs or that the rats didn't you know ruin the crops um or in you know corn storage facilities you know we have of course the 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 pointing retriever um flushing dogs um that are are pointing out game they're retrieving game they're you know flushing game so we have you know the the whole um gamut of hunting breeds that were clearly you know there's a lot of different kinds of hunting breeds and they were all kind of set to do a very different role we have the setters we have the spaniels we have the pointers we have the retrievers um, you know, some of them are more upland, some of them are more, um, you know, water dogs. So there's a whole gamut of, of breeds that were meant to do a really specific task. Um, and so you look at, if we look at what, what they're bred to do, you know, they, they all did something kind of very unique. And then, Obviously, we have the working dogs, we have the livestock guardian dogs, we have some of the Arctic and the old world dogs. So, you know, if you look at a Malamute or you look at a Husky or you look at, you know, um, some of the old breeds like a, a Shiba Inu or a Tibetan Mastiff. I mean, if you look at what the history of that breed was, it kind of will tell you what they were bred to do. And, you know, the beauty of genetics is that we we like 
most of us like a lot of the breeds that we do because they look the way that we like, <laughs> right? I mean, I love flat-coated retrievers. It's the breed that I've had since 1996. And, you know, I love the temperament. I love the fact that, that they can be outdoors in most weather with me. Um, you know, they like to retrieve. And, and so I think all of us choose a breed because of the characteristics that they have. But then also they look a certain way. And the fact that they look a certain way means they still have the genetics to do the job they were meant to do. And so so if we take that all into consideration, we can kind of look at what are some ways that we can help meet some of the needs of that breed. Now, some of you have breeds that you're like, oh no, Heather, they've got, you know, 17 different breeds in them. But if you look at what your dog likes to do in terms of play or what activities they enjoy, it's going to give you big insight into kind of the activities that maybe we could look at adding more into their lives. So if we kind of parallel this thought of we have dogs that were bred to do certain jobs with the fact that we kind of control a lot of what their life is like. We have to kind of look at a compromise, right? Any relationship you have, a comp- each party is kind of compromising. So if we look at, at what we can do to to meet some of the needs of our dogs, we can kind of take a look at the breeds that they were. Now, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of junk dog training out there. I know we talked about this a lot too, but you know, there is the, the thought out there that maybe a job that your dog could do would be to wear a backpack on a walk. Okay. No dog is bred to do that. <laughs> like that That's a TV dog trainer that I don't think has any base in anything. You know, none of us have dogs that were bred to like carry a backpack on an urban walk for two miles. We have dogs that were maybe bred to pull a cart. We maybe have dogs that were bred to go out in cold water and rescue people. Um, I don't know of any breed that was bred to like wear a backpack walking around downtown Eau Claire for two miles. And I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> so let's look at the real needs of some of these breeds. So I want you to think about, so in your head, kind of think about the dog that you have. So what, what, what breeds are comprising of your, of, of your dog? And again, some of you don't know. I mean, the beauty of, of, you know, the time we live in now is we do have, you know, some of the the breed tests that we can look at that might kind of guide us in terms of, you know, what breed your dog is. And I mean, a lot of you, gosh, I have a lot of puppies in class that might look shepherdy and they come back as, you know, maybe they have some Labrador and some Pit and some, you know, a terrier in them. Well, okay, so then look at what are some activities that they like to do. When they're out in the yard, do they like to play chase? Do they like to um, be chased? Do they like to hunt things under your shed in the back of your house or in the back, you know, by the barn or something like that? Do they like to, um, do they like to sit and, you know, observe the birds <laughs> at the bird feeder? What kind of things do they really like to do? Cause I think if you dig deep enough, you can really find, you know, at least three activities that your dogs like to do. And you know, the one that, that is fairly universal, in the cane in the canid world, I guess in general, is sniffing smelling, right? I mean, I think with any breed, regardless of the breed that you have, you know, whether you have a Havanese or maybe you have a Italian Marema sheepdog, I mean, if you look at, at the the differences and what those breeds were bred to do, it's vastly different. However, 
They both have exquisite olfactory systems that allow them to be able to smell things at, you know, at an incredible intensity. So I think one of the things that's really universal for all of us is smelling, you know, allowing our dogs to smell. And I feel like there is a really awesome trend in people walking their dogs that they're, they're, they are able to meet that need. And they're recognizing that it is actually a really big need that our dogs need to smell and they need to be out in the world and exploring, you know, the way that they, they learn about the world is smelling, sniffing, exploring. I mean, if you walked, watch dogs in any new context, they're out in the world and they are smelling and they are checking out, you know, the environment that they live in. And I think, you know, there's a great movement of, of, you know, people that, that, that caretake dogs that they're able to find spaces to be able to move to allow their dogs to do that. And that kind of goes back to the freedom number four, right? It goes back to having your dogs be able to move their bodies freely. And what is a normal, natural behavior in a dog? It's being able to move their body through space in a natural way. And part of that natural way is smelling. I mean, dogs have these powerful, amazing olfactory systems and we oftentimes will shut them down you know, we'll go for walks and be like, nope, don't get to smell there. Don't smell there. Don't smell there. Don't smell smell there. And that's something they're really, really skilled at. They're really gifted at. They, they have this inherent ability to be able to smell things. And so allowing them the freedom to do that is a really powerful need, I think, in, in a dog's world. So can you find opportunities? And in new spaces where you can have your dog smell. And and when I say that, I mean off your property. So can you find opportunities off your own property where your dog can wander around, maybe on a long line, and just kind of gather information about that environment? You know, it's almost like if you if you look at us, let's say you, you know, you love, let's say, maritime history of Lake Superior. (laughs) Like that is your jam. That's like your favorite thing in the world. And you love learning about it. And you, someone takes you to this maritime museum up near Lake Superior and they cover your eyes the whole time. They don't really let you look at it. I mean, you're so excited to be there, but they don't really let you look at it. I mean, that's kind of how a dog is when you go into a brand new space or a brand new place and you don't let them smell around. They're not able to gather information. They're not able to kind of do things they enjoy. And I don't even know if it's enjoy. I think it's a need. I really, I really do. And I think the more we learn about olfactory systems and dogs and how they perceive the world, I do, I do think we'll find out that it's more of a need than a, than just an enrichment tool. So Can you take them to these brand new spaces that are safe, obviously? I mean, that's a big parameter. We want to make sure that they're safe in that environment and there's no um, threats, you know, in environments we're going to take them. But can you take them into this environment and let them be a dog? Let them smell. Let them move around. And, you know, if you watch your dogs, our dogs don't move in straight lines. I mean, we walk them on sidewalks that are very straight and they're parallel to the road. However, if you watch your dogs move, they move in big patterns, you know, it depends on the dog and the breed. And again, this goes back to what they're bred to do. But they often will go, you know, swoop back and forth and come back to a smell and leave a smell and come back to a smell. So watching them is quite fascinating. So can we take them out to new spaces and let them kind of smell and be a dog so that, 
you know, they're not in the museum per se, and we're telling them, don't look at it, don't look at it, don't look at it. So finding opportunities for your dog to do that, I think is just really important. Um, you know, and I, I would say it's, it's more important for dogs that struggle with behavior issues. You know, so if your dog has some kind of a behavior issue, whether it is some kind of dog to dog aggression, dog to human, um, fears, phobias, those kinds of things, I think it's even more important to allow them to do these kinds of activities that, and, and I wouldn't say that being allowed to smell in new spaces is necessarily enrichment. I think it's a need. Um, and I think in the past century, I guess we maybe not even the past century, I guess, cause dogs were working quite a bit, but I think even, you know, up until recent times, we haven't really done a good job of doing this. You know, we often will take our dog spaces and it's all our walk, right? Like this is where we have to go and this is the direction we're going and you don't get to smell anything. And I think that's really unfair to an animal that has this intense ability to smell to not allow them to do that. Now, there are going to be times that they don't get to smell. And I totally get that. I mean, there are going to be times where, you know what, you have to rush from point A to point B and no smelling is going to happen because you are in a hurry. And that's totally fair. Remember, this is a compromise. <laughs> um, and so there's going to be times where it's like, yep, you know what, we have to walk into the building. We have to walk to this space. Like this just isn't a time you get to smell. But being clear with the dog that that's the expectation in the moment. You know, I tell people that given the amount of or the amount of leash that I give them at the moment is kind of the amount of freedom that they have. So if you're on kind of a short leash and we are cruising, that means we're cruising and you are loosely walking and we're probably going to walk fast because we're going from point A to point B. But long line, 25 foot long line off leash. If you're off leash, those are times you get to kind of mill around and I'm just kind of following you probably listen to do a podcast. So um, again, there's that compromise. I mean, you're not, you can't, it's unreasonable to think you always can let them smell wherever you go because there are places that we go where, where that's just not going to happen. So, so I want you to think about the breed you have and think about how can we meet those needs. So is it smelling? Again, that's the big one, right? We know that allowing dogs to do sniffing, smelling, scavenging behaviors is really helpful in terms of, of, you know, behavior issues in terms of just meeting a need. So that's a big one. And then give some thought to what kind of breed do you have? Do you have a breed that likes to retrieve? Do you have a breed that likes to find things? Like, do you have a hound and you can hide things around the house, around the yard? Can you take wildlife smells and hide them around the yard? Um, do you have a terrier? Can you play some kind of game that would mimic what terriering, <laughs> you know, go to ground or terrier exercises might look like chasing a small thing that bounces around. Um, having a dig pit for them if they're a terrier. I mean, terriers are really good at digging. Dachshunds are really good at digging. Bassets are really good at digging. You know, they have those short little legs and those long bodies to get into spaces that a greyhound can't. <laughs> um, do you have a sight hound? Do they like to chase things that they see that move really quickly in front of them? That's another need that you could meet with that dog. Do you have a, do you have a, um, some kind of a dog that does bite sports? So do you have a dog that, that was bred to do protection work and bred to have a really intense bite? How about tugging? Um, tugging is a really great kind of bite simulating exercise when, when done appropriately. Um, do you have a retriever? You know, can you play with bumpers and throw bumpers for them? Can you teach them how to get 
you know, a, a bird wing. Um, and that this is just stuff you can do at home. I mean, there's a whole world of dog sports out there that are going to meet every single need that your dog has. <laughs> you know, the, the herding breeds. I mean, herding breeds love agility. We know that. I mean, you go watch the, you know, 24-inch class, 24-inch <laughs> um class in agility in in any venue and you're going to see tons of well in the 20 inch class too tons of border collies doing agility right um you know they love that very micromanaged movement um there's a lot of other things you can do out there there's something called collie ball or a sheep ball where you can teach your dog to hurt a big ball a flirt pole is a great way to allow the terrier, well, any dog really, to chase something small that kind of moves very quickly through a space. A flirt pole is an awesome toy. Um, and so those are all ways that your dog can move their body and, and they're doing an exercise or they're moving their body through a space that is appropriate for their specific breed. And again, if you don't know the breed, kind of watch what they like to do. When they play with you, what do they enjoy? When they play with another dog, what do they enjoy? Do they want to be chased? Do they like to kind of stalk the other dog in play? Do they like to do more wrestle and bitey stuff? Or do they stay like a lot of herding dogs will kind of stay um, at somewhat of a distance from another dog? So what what do all those pieces look like? And what pieces of that puzzle, when you're watching them, can you pick out um, and you can make into some kind of a, a game that you could play with them. And, you know, I think our role as a caregiver to our dogs is to be a good observer. So can you watch what their behavior looks like and pick pieces of that out? Um, in my extreme real life rover class, they have a homework assignment in one of the weeks called Naked Play. And in that assignment, they have to take observations of their dog the the in the upcoming week and give some feedback in terms of what does your dog like to do so what do they like to do that isn't where you have something tangible in your hand so you don't have um you know you don't have a toy in your hand you don't have food in your hand like how do they like to play you know what activities do they like and let me tell you who's good at this are kids kids are good at this they can just go out and play with the dog they don't need a toy they don't need food um, they just have that really inherent capacity to kind of just interact freely with dogs. And so um, if your dog is really comfortable around kids, that's a really good way to kind of um, have the kids play with the dog, see what the dog likes to do. So I think if we look back at kind of if we go back to those very basic standards, so the five freedoms, which are very basic standards, and we look at how can we allow our dogs to move their body through space. And I think it's I know for me, it was kind of alarming to look at my animals as captive domestic creatures. Um, it's kind of almost like a shameful way, I think, to look at dogs um, for myself is kind of how I thought it. And so I think in my own kind of journey as a, you know, a dog professional kind of looking at, okay, what are some ways that I can meet their needs so that they do have freedom? Um and it's such a shared, beautiful thing. I think if you could take your dog out on a long line walk in a brand new space and just watch them, just observe. I mean, I think you learn so much from just watching them, watching their bodies move through space, watching what they choose to smell, what they don't want to smell, what they want to pee on, the spots that they linger. I think it's like utterly fascinating to be an observer of your dog's body language and their their what they enjoy. 
um, I think it just makes us such a better companion to them in watching them kind of move through, um, move through space. So take some notes this week, take a look at what your dog really likes. Um, and then look at how can I add in some activities that will really help them. And, and I want you to kind of reframe it from enrichment, which, you know, is kind of periphery additions of exercises and things that they, they might like to do and, and reframe it to something of maybe my dog needs this, you know, what are ways I can have my dog move that will, that is a need for them. Cause all of our dogs were bred to move in some way, shape or form. So get your notebook out, make some notes, and then maybe take a look at this week. What are two things that you can add in this week that are really going to help kind of meet those needs for your dog? And we'll see where it'll get you.